0: praise team for leading us together to the Lord this morning with such very meaningful songs it's such a delight to see each and every one of you this morning in our worship hour in the morning here at nine and welcome to those of you that are on the live stream we're so grateful that you have joined us as well let's just bow in prayer for just a moment Lord God, what a privilege it is to sing about your nature and uh, your character and qualities and attributes. How good it is to know that we are your children and that you have called us unto yourself. You have granted us forgiveness and new life in Christ, our blessed and all-overcoming Savior. You've sent the Spirit of God, as we have been singing about, into our hearts to lead us, to guide us, to teach us. We thank you that the Word of God shines brightly in front of us, that we might learn the truths of who you are and what you have for us. Bless us now today as we open the Word, thanking you that the living Word, Jesus, speaks to us through the written Word, the Bible, by means of the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ. And so it's in his name that we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. I have two questions I'd like to begin with this morning, and uh, I want you to see in your own minds if you can guess the answers. Where's the first recorded war in world history written in the Bible? The second question, who won that war, making this person the first victorious warrior in all of Scripture? If you guess Genesis to the first question, you are correct. And if you guessed Abraham to the second question, you are also correct. Now, how many of us could ever have imagined that Abraham was the first victorious military general in recorded history? How many of us could ever have imagined that? By the time we're done with this series, you're going to say to me, Pastor Brian, Abraham has done it all. And, of course, he had done it all. He is the father of all who believe. Now, what's the relevance of this to us this morning? Why does this matter? Well, let me share with you a comment from my old Hebrew professor, Alan Ross. Listen to what he said. He said, in the Old Testament, warfare was actual and physical. But according to the New Testament, a Christian's battle and weapons are spiritual. So that leads us to realize there's a principle that we must understand as we study our Bibles. Physical battles in the Old Testament teach us about spiritual warfare in the New Testament. This is the principle we need to see. Physical battles in the Old Testament teach us about spiritual warfare in the New Testament. Now, this morning, we are coming to Genesis chapter 14, and I want to bring a message simply entitled The Fight of Abram. We are reading here this morning the very first recorded battle in history and there are two very important lessons about spiritual warfare that we are going to see that are applicable to our lives as Christians. Here's the very first lesson. Spiritual warfare is real. Spiritual warfare is real. If you're not convinced of that, I hope after our sermon today, you will say, Pastor, the battle is real. Now, let's take our Bibles and turn to Genesis 14, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. I have been practicing all week. If you've been praying for me, thank you. This is some tongue twisters, but let me read these verses for you, and you can hold your applause if I make it through perfectly, okay? So let's follow along in verse 1 of Genesis 14. In the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Elessar, Kedorlaomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goim, these kings made war with Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, Shemember, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zor. And all these joined forces in the valley of Sidim, that is the Salt Sea, the Dead Sea. Twelve years they had served Keterla Omar, but in the thirteenth year they rebelled. In the fourteenth year of la Omar the kings who were with him came and defeated the Rephaim in Ashtaroth kirnaim the Zuzim in Ham, the Emim in Shava Kirith iyam and the Horites in their hill country of Seir, as far as El Paran, on the border of the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to En Mishpat, that is Kadesh, and defeated all the country of the Amalekites and also the Amorites who were dwelling in Hazazon Tamar. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Admah, the king of Zeboim, the king of Bela, that is Zorah, went out and they joined battle in the valley of Siddim." with Keterla omar king of Elam, Tidal king of Goim, Amraphel king of Shinar, and Ariah king of Elisar, four kings against five. Now the valley of Sidim was full of bitumen pits, tar pits, and as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into them and the rest fled to the hill country. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom, and his possessions, and they went their way. How many would say today the battle is real? The battle is real. Now this battle is known as the four kings against the five kings, and let me talk a little bit about it this morning first. It seems like this is a small skirmish to us, but in that day, this was an international conflict with huge ramifications. The coalition of four kings in verse 1 came from the ancient Near East, the Tigris and the Euphrates River Valley. Kedar Laomar was the chief of these kings and the others were his allies. Shinar would have been Babylonia. Elisar was very likely eastern Turkey. Elam was very probably Iraq. Goyim means nations and probably the Hittites way to the north. Now the five kings of verses 2 and 3 were allies. They were all living around the southern tip of the Dead Sea, and Bera, the king of Sodom, was the prominent leader among them. So these five smaller towns, let's call them Marquette, Nagani, Ishpaming, Palmer, and Republic, they were forced to pay taxes, food, money, and especially the tar that we read about in the tar pits, so that the king of Babylonia could use the tar in his building projects. The Bible says here they had paid taxes for twelve long years. And finally, like the Patriots at the Boston Tea Party, they said nuts we're not gonna pay any more. And so they stopped paying. When Kedar Omar did not get his taxes, his 13th year, you know what he said? He said, saddle up boys, let's ride. And a coalition of four angry warrior kings swarmed into tiny Canaan to take revenge. Revenge. The military operation, as we read, was swift, it was devastating, it was effective. Let me just describe it for you. First, the invaders marched along an ancient route known as the King's Highway, 150 miles long. They defeated the Rephaites, the Zuzims, and the Amims. If you think this was easy, Goliath was from Rephaim. These were giants they wiped out. Then they drove south against the Horites, who lived in a secluded fortress mountain of Seir, and yet they drove them out. Then they swept into the territory of the Amalekites, the Amorites, they subjected them, and finally they swooped down on the five tiny rebels, whipped their armies, cleaned them out, took captives. Then they rode back north to party, get drunk, divide the loot, and abuse the captives. The war is real. Now let me just stop here for a moment and make a few observations about this war, okay? I think it's very important. One, the enemy was obviously very powerful. Pastor Ray Stedman said this, Here was an enemy, invisible, relentless, unstoppable, striking fear into every heart as it carried all before them. And then the enemy had a plan. They enslaved. They carried off Lot, Abram's nephew, and his family to sell him and his family into slavery. And brothers and sisters, I don't have to tell you in that day that was a horrific thing to have happen to you. And then they robbed Verse 12 says, they took everything that Lot owned, and they left him with nothing. Now, I want to ask this question this morning. Who does this sound like to you, a powerful enemy whose plan is to rob and enslave you? Who does that sound like to you? That sounds like a perfect description of Satan to me. Here's what Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 8. Be vigilant, be sober. Because your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. That is the kind of enemy that we are facing. Now, you know the main question that ought to come to us this morning? Why was Lot enslaved and Abraham was not? Isn't that the key question? Isn't where this battle is taking us? Why was Lot enslaved and robbed of everything, but Abraham was not? Would you agree with me? Abraham was ready. Lot was not, right? In fact, that's the second lesson here in this section, this episode about spiritual warfare. Spiritual believers must be ready. Ready. Are you ready? If you would say, Pastor, I believe that the spiritual battle is real, are you ready? Am I ready? Abraham was ready. And he teaches us how the spiritual believer is ready for this enemy. Because we all know he's coming. So let's notice what Abraham teaches us here about how to be ready. First of all, know your enemy. Know your enemy. Look at verse 13. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol and of Aner. These were allies of Abram. Now in verse 12, we notice that Lot was dwelling in Sodom. The word dwelling is very important in this section. It means to inhabit. It means to stay usually for a longer period of time. It means to settle in. Now, you remember from chapter 13, the Bible says that Lot, after he separated from Abram, had moved towards Sodom. Now we discover he has moved into Sodom. He has left his tent and is living in a home in Sodom. Remember what the Bible said in chapter 13 about those men living in Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked. They were great sinners against the Lord, Genesis 13, verse 13. That's where Lot was living. But notice Abram, in contrast, was camping in a tent... And he was separated from Sodom and Gomorrah's wickedness when verse 13 tells us that he was living by the oaks of Mamre. The word living there means having a camp set up. It is a word that refers to a more temporary residence. And I want you to notice something else. This is the only time Abram in all the Old Testament is called a Hebrew. And that word means one from beyond. It's a reference to a pilgrim. It means one from the other side, an outsider. So Moses here is very clearly drawing a contrast between Lot, who had moved into Sodom, and Abraham, who was living separate in a tent. What are we seeing here? Lot was attracted to the world, wasn't he? Yes, he was. He saw the wealth, the finer things, the opportunities that Sodom gave, and he moved in. But Abram saw the danger, didn't he? He saw the sin and the wickedness, and he kept his distance. Do you know it is very likely that none of us here this morning have ever dealt with Satan directly or head-on? That's very likely true of all of us. You see, Satan does not need to attack us personally. And the reason is this, the Bible says this about him, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The Bible says about Satan he is the deceiver of the whole world. Therefore, he uses the world's people to deceive us and lead us into sin. He does not need to personally attack us himself. And when we understand that about him, then we know the enemy. When I entered into high school, um, God so arranged my life that my closest friends in the ninth grade became Christians. And they were my closest friends all through high school. And as I look back at that, it was not a plan of mine uh, that I brought about. I, I believe now it was in the providence of God that as I went into high school, a very dangerous time in any young person's life, God surrounded me with primarily Christian friends. And because that was the case, you know what I did? There were places I didn't go. There were people I didn't hang out with. There were activities that I didn't do, and as a result, there were habits that I did not form. Now, it was not because I was so strong, but Satan did not have some opportunities with me because I was separate from the world. Now, I was not isolated sitting at home, all by myself, but I was insulated because I was not following the world. If we know our enemy and we know that he comes to us through the world's people, then we will be careful where we go, who we hang out with, what we do, what we listen to, and who we follow. Because we know that's how the enemy will come to us. Number one, know your enemy. Number two, stay with your comrades. Stay with your comrades. Look at verse 14 and notice this. When Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. Dan is way in the north of the land of Palestine. Now, I've never been in military training, but I know one principle very well, never separate from your unit, right? An isolated soldier is a weakened soldier, and one of the things they tell you is in combat, make sure you stay with your unit. Now, here's the interesting thing. Abraham was no lone ranger. Verse 14 tells us he called out, 318 men born in his house. Can you imagine the large number of people that Abraham had in his household? Because here were 318 who had been born in his home. He had a sizable, sizable group of people. Now, here's the question. Who were these 318 Well, here's what a couple of Bible teachers say. They were domestic servants, such as are common in eastern countries even to this day and are considered and treated as members of the family. They were people brought up in the family of God and able and willing to respond in an hour of need. Abraham, as we saw, had allies from his neighbors, But his core comrades, they were believers. Brothers and sisters, I learned from this. Strength to defeat Satan is not ours alone, but comes from our comrades in Christ. Strength to defeat Satan is not ours alone, but comes from our comrades in Christ. There have been times in my life when I did not do wrong or make very unwise mistakes because believers were with me. And their counsel guided me so that I did not make the wrong decision. And sometimes their presence strengthened me so that I was strong to stand against the temptations that I was facing. Remember what Peter said in 1 Peter 5.8, Satan is seeking someone to devour. Someone. Someone. An isolated Christian from the rest of the body of Christ, living their Christian life alone without the comrades that are the people of God around them. The Puritan pastor, George Swinock, said this, Satan watches for those vessels that sail without a convoy. Are you trying to sail through life without the convoy of your Christian brothers and sisters? I want to tell you something, Satan's watching for you. Because he knows you are vulnerable. He knows you are vulnerable. We cannot win the battle against Satan alone. We need to stay with our unit. Notice the third way that we are prepared. Train with your weapons. Train with your weapons. Verse 14 describes these men as trained men. Very important word here. This is the only time this word trained is used in the Old Testament. This is it right here. And it clearly means trained in warfare. You know what this is telling me? Abraham developed a boot camp. He had a paramilitary organization, and these 318 men had been trained by him to use swords and spears. Do you know one of the purposes of the church? Is to train us to fight. Did you know that? One of the reasons we come here and we learn and we grow and we receive and we minister is so that when we leave we are ready to fight. Earlier this year I preached a series on the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. And if you would have come to me and said, Pastor, why are you doing this series? I could not have given you a better answer than what was read earlier. In 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 5, let me read for you what we read earlier. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Doesn't that just sound good? Divine power. Destroying strongholds, destroying arguments, destroying lofty opinions, taking every thought captive to Christ. That's what happens when we train with the weapons of our warfare in our local church. We become trained fighting men and women whom Satan cannot overcome. Know your enemy. Stick close with your comrades. Train with your weapons. And then finally, notice, fight confidently in God. Fight confidently in God. Look at verse 15 and notice this amazing route That Abraham led over these combined forces from the north. And he divided his forces against them by night. He and his servants, that's the 318 men. And defeated them. And pursued them to Hobah. That's way, way out of the promised land. North of Damascus, way up in Syria. Then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsman lot with his possessions and the women, weren't they grateful? And the rest of the people. Pastor Ray Stedman has said about this, the March of Abram and his tiny band is one of the most remarkable forced marches in all of military history. He chased them almost 200 miles all the way north out of the promised land. He recaptured all the goods, all the captives, Lot, his nephew. This was one of the greatest routes in all of history. And we say, how did Abraham accomplish this? I think it was pretty simple in many ways. He knew who was fighting with him, right? He knew God was the one who would give him the victory because God had said, Abraham, the land is yours. Why did he chase them all the way out of the promised land? Because he knew this land belongs to me. You're leaving and God's going to help me push you out. And he pushed them almost 200 miles what does the New Testament say about us? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. 1 John 4.4 4. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. 1 John 5.4 Resist the devil and he will flee from you. James 4.7 We can fight confidently in faith because we know God fights with us when we do. I love what one man said. Uh, He said, I'm not fleeing from Satan. Satan is fleeing from me. And there's a sense in which you can fight with that kind of confidence. When you know your enemy, how he's coming, when you are with your comrades who strengthen you, and when you have learned to fight with the spiritual weapons that we've been given, then you can fight confidently because you know greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Pastor Aurelius Augustine had a, a great image of Satan that I think all of us need to conceptualize in our minds. This is what he said. He said, the devil is like a mad dog who is chained up. He is powerless to harm us when we are outside of his reach. You all know that. I've been to some places where there are some pretty angry dogs, and they were chained up, and as long as they were chained, they couldn't touch me. But Augustine said this once we enter his circle, we expose ourselves again to injury or harm. The mad dog can't touch you chained up. But if you enter the circle, you're going to get hurt, you're going to get harmed. And so the key question is, how do we stay out of the devil's circle? Isn't that the key question? In this battle, which is so real, how do we stay out of the range of the mad dog who is chained up and cannot touch us? And Abraham teaches us. Know your enemy. Stay with your comrades. Train with your weapons. And fight confidently in God. And if you do that, this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Let's bow together, shall we, and ask the Lord to help us to do that very thing. As our eyes are bowed and our heads are bowed as well. What things do you need to do to prepare because you believe the battle is real? Maybe you're not even sure you're on the Lord's team. Maybe you haven't been born again. And if you're not on the Lord's team, you can't fight the Lord's battle. And you need to come to the foot of the cross and in repentance and faith, trust the Savior who died and rose for you. Maybe you're trying to travel without a convoy. The church is there when you need it, but you don't know your comrades. You're not invested in their lives. Your church family gets very little of your time and attention. You're largely a vessel that is sailing alone. Maybe you haven't trained with the weapons of your warfare. You know know the word as you ought to. You're fighting a spiritual battle with fleshly weapons. It will never work. Or maybe there's a lack of confidence that you can face the devil regardless of what is thrown at you. And God will give you all you need. Perhaps today you don't know how the enemy comes. And you're in places you shouldn't be with folks who are too strong of an influence on you. Doing things that are unhealthy developing habits that will enslave you. You're not insulated. So the devil has many opportunities because you are exactly where he wants you to be. Whatever the decision today that all of us need to make, let us let the Lord make us ready like Abraham, instead of not ready like Lot. For Jesus' sake, we pray. Amen.